Hey there, listeners. As I celebrate another trip around the sun, I want to show my gratitude for your incredible support. What a better way to do that than with a special contest just for you. What's up for grabs, you ask? Powerful quantum healing hypnosis session that could lead you on a transformative journey within yourself. Here's how to enter. Simply leave a review, listen to an episode, and leave a review on Spotify or Apple podcast platform, and then screenshot the review. Email or Instagram me. Send the screenshot to me via email at soultravelerpodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at I am Jennifer Mitchell. You can double your chances to win if you want to entries. Simply tag me on your Instagram story post with the screenshot of your review for an extra shot at winning. Your reviews and support mean the world to me, and I can't wait to gift one of you with this incredible opportunity. So start reviewing, screenshotting, and tagging for your chance to win. The contest will be ending on the first week of October, right after my birthday. The winner will be randomly selected and announced. So good luck and thank you for being part of this incredible journey. Welcome to the Soul Traveler Podcast, an exploration of conscious living with your host, Jennifer Mitchell of The Soul Experience. Join Jennifer as she explores the quantum realms of the subconscious mind and all aspects of spirituality. Driven by curiosity and a thirst for knowledge, topics will stretch the boundaries of your imagination and revive your mind, body, and soul. Hey, beautiful souls. Welcome to another episode of the Soul Traveler Podcast, where we embark on spiritual odysseys and venture into the realms of mysticism, quantum realities, and transformative spiritual practices. I'm your host, Jennifer Mitchell, and today we have a truly captivating episode in store for you. Joining us is the esteemed Todd Grosby, a master in mindfulness, intuition development, and psychic readings. His expertise will illuminate the depths of your soul. Are you ready to embark on a journey of self-discovery and mystique as Todd shares his profound insights? In this episode, we will dive into the art of mindfulness, the cultivation of intuition, and the intriguing world of psychic readings, all designed to awaken your inner wanderer. So get ready to journey with us today as we expand consciousness and illuminate the path to a more enlightened understanding of our incredible universe. Here we go. Hey, Todd, welcome to the show today. It's such a pleasure to have you on. I've really been looking forward to having a conversation with you. Well, Jennifer, it's my pleasure and I'm looking forward to it as well. Where are you calling from today? I'm in Portland, Oregon currently. I recently relocated here well, gosh, just about two years ago from California. And I'd lived in California for, gosh, the last 20 years. So staying yeah. on the West Coast, but a big move. So going from no rain to rain all the time. How do you like the rain? Do you enjoy it? Or I love it. You know, you where I lived in outside of Sacramento, it was sunny all the time. Mm -hmm. It very rarely rained. And the heat got to be very excessive. So... For me, it's a welcome change. I know that people live here like sunlight and they don't like all the rain, but I'm really enjoying it a lot. And in many ways, it's opened up a whole new world to me because my vacations were always island. And so now yeah. I'm like, okay, maybe it's time to go further north. I've been to Portland once and I really enjoyed just exploring the city. And we went up to the wine country for a day. It was really nice. I didn't realize there was so much to do there. I'm from Las Vegas. I definitely hear oh, you cool. on the heat. <laughs> it's hot there, especially now. But I love it. It's like this dry heat. And yeah. I actually, I look forward. I loved it for years. I used to run and I'm a runner. So I used to oh. run in, in the high heat all the time. And a couple of years back, all of a sudden it started to affect me more. I don't know if it's because it's getting hotter or what the story is. But then I've done a 180 completely. I went from loving the heat to like, I can't get it cold enough. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we changed. I was just talking with the guests earlier about how life is so interesting, like how so many changes can happen within a single lifetime. It's like we don't even recognize the people that we used to be anymore. It's really true, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It really is. I'm really curious to learn more about what you do and what prompted your spiritual awakening and what is your origin story? So I 
from a very early age, was always fascinated with the nature of spirituality. I was always in bookstores, always in the metaphysical section, and every single piece of it I couldn't get enough of. And I think that my true uh, awakening story probably occurred when the last time I saw my grandfather, even though I had danced around with it from a curiosity standpoint, and I felt different because people used to always ask me questions and tell me their life story, even as a kid, which was a bit odd. Uh, and then I had this overwhelming feeling that my grandfather was going to pass away. My brother and I saw him down in Florida, and it wasn't like he was that old. He's, he was in good health. But I just had this overwhelming feeling, this is it. This is the last time we're going to see him. And he did end up passing a couple of weeks later. And that, for me, was the cement to really get me going along that path. Now, during between here or there, there's times when you're very spiritual, very intuitive mm -hmm. to life, and then other times when you're not. You're just the body and you're experiencing the emotions and dealing with all the different trials and tribulations of your life. I had to take care of my mom who had Parkinson's disease. Uh -huh. I'm divorced now, but I have three kids, so raising the kids is also something that takes a lot of time. It's not to say that these things aren't spiritual in nature, but they take away from you doing a deep dive and exploring, really. Fortunately, my ex and my marriage did give me permission to go out and explore some. I took classes. I've took, I went to a place in the Bay Area called the Berkeley Psych Institute, Esclepion Center for Healing. So I've gone to a different, bunch of different metaphysical schools to get educated on it. And it was approximately about, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, where I decided to take the plunge and become a reader. And so mm -hmm. I went to a reading festival that used to go through the West Coast and did one in Sacramento. Of course, it's a very odd thing to do. It's even stranger when I came from a real traditional background with sales and marketing mm -hmm. to find myself at a psychic fair sitting at a table waiting for somebody to get a reading. So it was really like an aha moment. Oh my gosh, I did not expect this to sort of unfold in my life. Yeah. I was so grateful that it did because the thing about reading other people is that it gives you a great sense of validation to your connection to your spiritual nature. And it also gives you the opportunity to connect with other people in a much deeper, more meaningful level. Now, this can take a lot of different shapes and forms. Sometimes people really want to be dependent upon you to hold space for them. Other times it's merely just insight and other people are just curious. So I think it covers the gamut. And as a reader, you, you really benefit, if your mind is open to it, from each person who sits in front of you because they've got a story to tell. And more often than not, the story that they tell will resonate with you on some level. So I find it to be very therapeutic and healing when working mm -hmm. with other people if I'm paying attention. And yeah. think, oh gosh, over the course of multiple readings, there seems to be a storyline that's following. And when I have that aha moment to realize, oh, wait a minute, because that story is for me to pay attention to. It's not just what I'm observing in others. So I think that kind of covers it. And through the course of my studies, I've done, and I continue to study nonstop. That's the cool thing about mm -hmm. your spiritual nature is that it's ever ending. You can continue to take deep dives for as long as you like. Yeah, the one thing that you said to me that stood out is how you have the sales and marketing background. I come from a banking background, so mm -hmm. very different than what I do now. I do sponsor healing hypnosis, QHHT. Yep. But I found myself like, what am I doing here? <laughs> it's so different from being in that corporate environment and then making yep. the switch and making the plunge. Do you find that like a difficult transition for you? And how did you how did you deal with that? Like maybe to anyone who might be wanting to take a step or into a different career into doing something more spiritual, what would you tell them? The challenging thing with taking a step into the spiritual world as an independent person mm -hmm. is that not all, but many people that are more inclined to be spiritual tend to be a little bit more creative in nature, maybe fall into the basket of an artist. And it's my experience that those that fall into that basket aren't typically really great business people per se. They may have great insights about business and what other people should do and things that should happen, but there can be a challenge as it relates to being able to take that skill set. And I would say this does hold true with artists as well and apply it to a meaningful business plan that, hey, here's what we're going to do. So I think the challenging thing that anyone that is embarking on this as a profession, a career, is that it takes time. So I would say mm -hmm. that it's helpful sometimes to balance that with something that can help get your bills paid. To take the leap and not have any sort of income and your income being wholly dependent upon your ability to express your spiritual nature, to do readings, to do uh, healing sessions with others, it's doable, but it's challenging when it's your only source of income because 
no matter what, we the world runs off of money and the yeah. desire to have money is, is prominent. And, and it's not just an ego thing. It's we need to get paid to have our roofs over our head, food on the table. So there's a definite need there. But beyond the need in terms of wanting to create and manifest something greater than that, it's in between those two places where the challenges arise for those looking to break into it. That's mm -hmm. why I, I make a strong case. So sometimes it's helpful to balance them both. That's not to say that you can't jump full on in there and, and let your passion lead. It's just that the difference between showing up and getting paid by a company is a lot different than you showing up and having to facilitate healing, reading, teaching, or whatever it happens to be. Because it's all on you at that point in time. You may have partners that you're in business with. And so that that's a big, huge transition. So I still struggle with that transition yeah. for being paid, even though it's been years, being paid consistently by other people versus, okay, when you're on your own, you're always recreating your business. You're always moving forward. And depending on what you're doing, if you're reading realistically, you're probably not going to read the same person multiple times in a month, although that does happen in probably extreme situations. So then it has to do with building up clientele and mm -hmm. like any other business, like one of my daughters is con considering cosmetology. So if you're going to cut hair, you're going to do nails or whatever, you have to build up clients. So it's going to take two, three years or so for you to get stride with it. The difference mm -hmm. is someone's always going to come back and want their hair done if you've done a good job. Yeah. Reading's concerned. You can read somebody and hit a core picture with them and they may then want to never come back. Not because you didn't do it wrong, because you did it right, because yep. you hit a core picture that mm -hmm. sent them into what I've been taught is called the growth period, but it's definitely a moment of like reconciliation. So yeah. it's a very challenging field to be in to make it your profession because it really requires a lot of fiscal responsibility and sound business sort of acumen, mm -hmm. as well as the emotional challenge of the people that are coming forward to you. Because a lot of people are putting a lot of pressure on you as a reader or a health practitioner to fix me. Whereas we know it's helpful for everyone to be involved in the fix it problem, especially the individual you're talking to. But sometimes people need a helping hand with that. And so it makes it quite challenging because sometimes people don't want to do the work or sometimes people get overwhelmed with what's happening. And so you have to play a lot of different roles as somebody who's going to be involved in this field. And it would be nice to say it's all healing chakras and whatnot, but yeah. of course our bodies run off of emotions. And so that becomes a really Absolutely. important thing. Yeah. I do think though that recently there's a lot more awareness though. Uh, mm. People are more open-minded and there's a lot more awareness yeah. about alternative methods of healing mm. and people seeking out stuff outside of the traditional Western medicine. And for myself, I work a lot with emotion. You just touched a little bit about emotion. And as I don't like to refer to myself as a healer, I like to refer to myself as I'm someone here who's here to help you. Right. If you need help, then I'm your person. And what I do is self-healing. So essentially we connect with the subconscious mind and then the subconscious will scan that person's body. And Almost every single time that somebody comes to me, we find that it's emotion, trapped okay. emotion that is making uh, that person ill or sick. And it's really interesting, Todd, because certain emotions will reside in specific areas of the body. Like anger is always manifesting in the stomach. Um, sadness is in like the heart area and fear resides in the mind. So it's interesting like how when we suppress and we, these emotions and they stay trapped and how they manifest in the body. But I was going to also say that as somebody who stepped into this type of work and this type of business, I also noticed that there's a lot of peaks and lulls. Sometimes oh, yes. I'll be like very busy and I, at times it's like crickets are tripping. I'm like, where did everybody go? <laughs> it's, it's funny you touched on that because I've just went through, gosh, it's probably been six months of very significant personal growth. Mm. I experienced the death of my mother, who I mentioned before, who I caregiver who had Parkinson's. And then I got divorced that. about a year after that. And then I relocated. So that's three major life events. And of course, the mother is obviously the biggest one. Our relationship mm -hmm. with our mother, it's hard to find one that's more impactful and influential on your own life than that one. Yeah. And so for a lot of it for me had to do with an, an unpacking and resolving all that. Ironically enough, energetically, I put out the blocks to new clients and coaching or whatever, because I really needed to take care of this. I have other sources of income, so I was able to batten down the hatches. But then from a reading and healing perspective, it was like, I didn't intentionally do it, but you mm -hmm. then shut off because you have to take in the information, do what you need to do and process. You don't have to do this. I'm saying this as an absolute. You can do it without it. The pitfall is that if you don't take care of yourself when you do this work, it's easy to get lost in it. it Doctors is. and surgeons, they can 
they've probably developed an ability. This is something I've thought about for a while. It'd be interesting to talk to them about it because they're humans developed an ability to shut themselves off because if they became emotionally attached to each patient, they're going to do surgery on it. It could be quite problematic because it doesn't work out well. There's the family. You could see that the overwhelming emotional overload would be very difficult if you took on the energy. I'm not saying that there's probably some doctors out there that are empathic in nature, but the challenging part is that it takes a toll on you. Working with other people emotionally takes a toll on you. And as I mentioned before, that a lot of the stuff that you're working through isn't just the other person's. There's some aspect of it that exists with inside of you or maybe you're an extended family. Mm-hmm. So I really feel like it's a challenging world in terms of expectation. It's a very dynamic thing. And I think that shutoff occurs probably for more of a self-preservation and a detoxification and a processing than it does that there's no abundance. Because I think there's abundance everywhere. It has Absolutely. more to do with where you're at, where you're meeting these things. And if you're not doing your own work, you mm-hmm. can do this work and not do your own work, but it's going to take a toll on you. So it, it can. And it can be energetically draining too. Like always people coming to you and seeking help and you do have to do the work and protect your own energy. And I will attest to what you were talking about a moment ago with doctors having to, you know, self-preserve themselves emotionally. I know actually several doctors mm. and they're very like, on and off, like with their emotions. And one of them is a, is a family member. And I actually commented like, how do you do that? And he's like, very emotional. And he was like, I have a disconnect. I can't be connected to my patients. And yeah, I, I would agree with that. <laughs> uh, the, funny thing, the funny thing about that, I apologize for interrupting. Oh, it's okay. Is that my mind's always thinking, right? And so right away, I think that many people that do our line of work are highly sensitive people, very emotional, very much charged with the second chakra wide open. <laughs> I want to help and heal the world. At the same point in time, there's that the challenging aspects of that personality type, and I'm one of them, is boundaries. Boundaries become a significant issue because a lot of times it's childhood of where you're really aware, maybe family isn't. And so on Mm -hmm. a very young level, you're playing the role of the healer or the family fixer or whatever energetically. And so family members will dump on you, but it becomes overwhelming. And you realize a lot of it has been driven by the fact that your environment was likely unstable. There was a level of stress and anxiety and you functioned as the role to fill that in, maybe unconsciously even to a degree. So there's that gray area in there. Who's to say that maybe there isn't some questions to be asked of the family member or other doctors What is it that you're actually doing? Because I can't think of a more deliberate, intentional boundary setting than I can't take on my patient's energy. Of course, maybe there's something to learn from that. Maybe they're just in denial and they're taking it on anyways. I I don't know. I don't know about the long term. For me, it's very foreign because I'm used to, oh, wow, I want to help and heal and, and help people out. I think during the course of my own career is you have to establish boundaries. Like when I read and other healing work that I do, yeah, it has to be really clear cut. Of course, something's going to slip in there because I'm not a surgeon. I'm allowed to become emotionally attached by a story that I hear. But then the challenge is that after I hear that story, if for whatever reason somebody I read or did healing work on still sitting with me, I'll know after the fact. And I'm sure you have your own technique to replenish Mm -hmm. your energy and send people's energy back as a sort of imagination gesture to recalibrate and say, hey, I can't take on things that aren't mine to take on. Yeah, well, for me, I find it most effective and what works for me is to to zip up previously and before the client comes to see me, I do in-person as well as online sessions. And I just zip up energetically, protecting myself in like a white field of energy. And I can see them and, and and empathize with them and what they're telling me or expressing to me, but I don't take that emotion on. And then I have a meditation app that I do afterwards. And for me, that's really been very helpful. I am highly sensitive. And I remember when I didn't realize (laughs) that I was an empath and picking up on people's energies, I was working at the time in a call center as a call center manager. And we had 200 agents and we're getting yelled at all the time, all day. And the stress was very high. And I started to notice that my staff specifically was coming to me, pulling me aside, maybe crying and telling me stuff about like home life. And and I noticed this wasn't happening to any of the other managers. <laughs> I was like, I even have people that don't even report to me seeking me out and coming to my desk and sobbing at my desk. And so I went for a Reiki session because I needed a clearing and the lady yep. was like, are you zipping up? You're empathic. And I was like, what? And I had no idea. And now looking back, I was taking on so much. Right. 
energy and they were seeking me out. Like they were like coming to fill up at my gas station. It's like how I felt. <laughs> it's true. You wonder yeah. how many people are out there. I'm a strong believer that a lot more people actually have these abilities than they know. And I think that they have these experiences. They just don't have any context for understanding what's happening because it really isn't taught unless you've been mm -hmm. fortunate enough to grow up in a family where it was accepted or were exposed to it at an early age. It's not something that's really taught. So you wonder how many people out there are struggling with these feelings of being the mm -hmm. go-to yet feel overwhelmed because it's a lot to have to take on. And the zipping up is great. I mean, I've always been a fan of all the different techniques that are out there. In the mm -hmm. end, it has to do with, hey, it's a boundary. It's a boundary issue. I just read a book about boundaries. It was phenomenal, even though it was written from a very strong sort of Christian perspective. It gave me a new appreciation for that balance of understanding that not everything fits in neatly in a box. And some teachings are allegorical in nature. For some people, they're truth. The spoken word is the truth. But when you get that sort of allegory that relates to, here's the reason why a boundary is effective from an emotional standpoint. Because of course, we're talking energetics, energy, and then the energy being expressed as an emotion is one factor, especially for us doing the work we do. But in all relationships, this dynamic works, especially with family. But family oh, yes. <laughs> quite challenging, right? They're the ones testing all your boundaries. They're the ones you're yeah. running and shot. But I feel like that they're the best practice for you to use these tools, whatever the tools happen to be that you're using to start working on the boundaries because they're not going to work on family all the time. There's no way. No, and it's like to make you feel guilty when you have boundaries. That's right. <laughs> In my case. Right. Now, I know that you work a lot with intuition, and we touched a little bit about creativity earlier. Intuition is often associated with creativity and art. Do you believe that intuition influences the creative process? Absolutely. I think that intuition, uh, from my perspective, is really directly related to your ability to imagine. So I see a direct connection between your imagination and intuition. And mm -hmm. in many respects, they're synonymous because the work that I do comes from the perspective of visualization or clairvoyance, if you will. Uh, but the irony is that when I do this, when I perform a reading, I don't necessarily see the things that I say that I see. So the notion is that you can see with your third eye and you're perceiving the spiritual realm. So for me, it's not really, it doesn't really necessarily work that way. It, it has to do with this gray area of maybe hearing sometimes and other times just knowing that the image is there. So I have to have this workaround where I skip to just the knowing space. And then from there, I'm like, oh, here's an image of, even though I might describe the image, I don't see it. So when I think about these ideas as they relate mm -hmm. to creativity, I feel like, wow, this is really right in the same realm. Dreams also fall into that category. That creative process, be artistic or music or whatever it happens to be, I think it's putting you in another brainwave where it becomes really integrated with your whole sense of creativity. It's not to say that all creative work is always a product of intuition, because obviously there's skills that you can learn to practice to get better at whatever you happen to be doing. But then there's still that creative process. For me in particular, mine's more creative verbal work online and speaking and whatnot. But I get that through walking through doing other things. And it's like the information comes to me. So I feel a big part of that intuitive process is allowing and not forcing. You may set guidelines on how to I'm going to meditate every day and do all these different tools to help me. But then it just comes to you when you get out of your own way. And that to me is the spark of creativity and the spark of intuition. One thing that you touched on that actually kind of aligns with me and my line of work is clairvoyance. You mentioned, I recently noticed, and I'm going to do hypnosis. And one of my clients under hypnosis was describing her past life. Mm. And I try to fill the scene with my imagination. There was that creative process. And I started to realize that I'm actually seeing what they're seeing. And oh, it was interesting. My client was telling me about a wedding and how she was marrying this guy. And she didn't, there are certain things that she didn't say. And after the session, I was like, how interesting. You had a light blue dress on. And she's like, I didn't say that. And I was like, you didn't? And, I, and then she didn't tell me either that the wedding was outdoors. Wow. And, and I knew it was not my wedding. And I was like, holy heck, am I seeing like what my clients are experiencing? Oh. And so I started to lean a little bit more into that and being more relaxed in the creative um, process as a right. practitioner. And I have come to find that I absolutely, I am clairvoyant when it comes to that. And it is, it goes hand in hand with, with the creativity. And I'm trying to paint a picture of their scene in that past life in my mind so that I can mm -hmm. ask more questions. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I think sometimes for those watching or listening to this, the challenge with this work is that it's not 
exact. So mm -hmm. sometimes impressions that you get might be different than somebody else looking at the same thing. And it has more to do with understanding that we're dealing with a three-dimensional sort of linear world versus the abstract, which is intuition. And for some, yeah. that's symbology, that's feelings, that's hearing. It's a combination of all of these senses together and your own personal interpretation of what that means. There's probably some universal unconscious truths. I know when dreaming as it relates to water it tends to represent the unconscious. So there's probably a template to offer uh, those that maybe are uncertain, but then your own vernacular in terms of your own interpretation of that creativity, that's where the work lies within, because maybe you get an impression and it's not an exact picture, but you might be tapping into a different dynamic that exists. Because I know a lot of times people get stuck on the notion of accuracy and precise. Mm -hmm. And so of course, when you're conveying information and when you're doing work, you want to be accurate and precise. But when, it, when we're dealing with emotions, we're dealing with the abstract, emotions aren't necessarily precise. It's possible to experience two different emotions at the same time, causing this sort of mixed emotion sort of feeling. And so beneath that, maybe there's a core picture that relates to it. So I say this because there's this sort of abstract interpretation of the word for many people that may not clearly line up with other people's experience, but I wouldn't let that discourage people because you're learning yourself, your own interpretation as it connects to that spiritual realm. Absolutely. And I think that sometimes trusting intuition can be challenging, especially because it goes against conventional, what we would say conventional wisdom is. Um, for you yourself personally, have you ever had to make a decision based on your intuition, like despite conventional wisdom? And how did that turn out or pan out for you? Well, I attempt to do it all the time. I have mm -hmm. a very active mind and it's probably my lack of boundaries. It's Full of voices, right? You should yeah. do this and you should do that. So it's very dynamic in there. But I'm, I'm pretty, pretty consistent with my desire to use my intuition as it relates to decision making. And I've got a variety of different ways of doing it because I'm also aware that my mind has desires and the desires mm -hmm. don't always fall lock and step with intuition because I want something because I don't know if my ego wants it or something. And so it's this balancing act that occurs that you're thinking, gosh, is this an intuitive take or is this my mind wanting? So muscle testing comes to mind. So a lot mm -hmm. of people use muscle testing or pendulums. My mind is always, well, I have the world of desires of, hey, should I go to Las Vegas or not, for example, to go have a good time? Would this be a good time to do it? And of course, part of me wants to nudge the hand and say, yes, because I want to go, right? So there's that part of you, and I'm using this as an analogy probably for the bigger picture of wrestling the idea with what your ego or your conventional mind wants to do versus this feeling of intuition of this isn't right. And I've been doing this long enough to get a sense of, hey, if there's this intuitive sort of sense of I should pause, I almost always pause. I don't know if that's avoided me from getting in trouble or however that looks, but I definitely lead with it. So I have tarot decks, so I'll throw cards. I'll use a variety of different tools to be able to help meet those moments of, hey, I have to make a practical decision. I wouldn't say it's always 100% intuitive because, of course, our experience with all of this have both those minds at play, right? You have an intuitive feeling, but then you have to make a linear sort of ego sort of decision. But they work harmonious with each other. I think it's always a working process. We always beat ourselves up when we, I knew I wasn't supposed to do that. And you did it anyway. Yeah, Every time I don't follow my intuition, I just want to kick myself because I'm always right. 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 <laughs> I was like, oh, man. And so you mentioned pendulum and tarot deck. If somebody wanted to develop their intuition, are those good tools to use or what exercises or practices would you recommend? So I think explore all of it, explore astrology, find something that interests you and resonates with you. Not necessarily something that seems to work or doesn't seem to work. Because the idea is that early on, it's an exploratory thing. Hey, how does this work? How does it work? I like Tarot in particular only because it does give you a bit, I don't want to call it a crutch, but it gives you like a definitive meaning for what you're doing versus solely just picking it off the top of your head, relying solely on an image or a feeling or, or a voice that you hear. What the Tarot does is give you an opportunity to start getting validation because the number one tool, in my opinion, as it relates to developing your intuition is you need to have the validation. You need to have, mm -hmm. you're reading a person and you get an impression, oh, I feel like you're depressed or whatever happens to be going. You need them to tell you, oh yeah, I'm experiencing depression. That validates your ability to be able to tap into them emotionally. If you don't get the validation, no matter what your medium is, it's going to be very difficult to be able to determine and discern, hey, is this working well for me or not? 
And so I think that requires two things. One is an ability, which the Tarot deck inherently has, as you read yourself. Because I don't know if you find this, but I know historically readers have always found it very challenging to read themselves. So only recently have I started getting much better at it. Very excited about that. It's a weird sort of thing, but I've gotten much yeah. better at it. And definitely through the help of using Tarot for me in particular. I get things that I just know. But when you got a card, and if you don't like the Tarot, there's Oracle decks or whatever it happens to be. It's just something that will give you a little bit more information clear cut that you can reference in a book. So then you can think, hey, what's going on next week? You can toy around with the future. You can toy around with emotions and other people and say, hey, and it, it can be very simple, I would say. Hey, what's one card that represents this or two cards or what's a situation? And if I thinking about this, if I do this and what's the outcome, I would say the more simplistic you can keep it early on, the better off you'd be. Mm -hmm. Whatever your medium is, you have to find some way to have it validated in order for you to make progress. Otherwise, it's very difficult. Otherwise, it just lives in your head and it's very difficult for you to know. Hey, soul travelers, pardon the interruption, but I just have to tell you about quantum healing hypnosis because one session forever changed my life and now I'm living my purpose to help others just like you. I was so lost in my life and absolutely miserable in my career until I received the guidance needed from my higher self. Now I'm spreading awareness about the life-changing modality of quantum healing hypnosis. In one single session, we will spend the day journeying deep into your subconscious mind and unlock the hidden wisdom within. We'll revisit a past life, explore what your soul does between lifetimes, your subconscious mind will scan your body, looking for health concerns, and perform self-healing. They'll even connect directly to the Akashic Records so that you can get your most important life questions answered. Quantum healing hypnosis is absolutely nothing like a traditional hypnosis session. And you know that everything is 100% legitimate because nothing is being filtered through a third-party practitioner and your higher self will never misguide you. Your session is audio recorded so that you could listen back and play all of the advice that your higher self spoke to you under hypnosis. So if you're ready for personal growth and a positive change, then it's time to discover the essence of who you truly are. Book a session with me today at thesoulexperiences.com. Now back to the show. For listeners out there interested in maybe getting a tarot deck or oracle deck, what type of deck would you recommend is for a beginner's deck? Is there one specifically that you like or... I've had a deck for years and I can't remember I can't remember the name of it. I would say you can go to a meta metaphysical store or wherever and just yeah. see what resonates with you. Like I mm -hmm. said, there's a lot of them out there now. And I would see that the imagery is going to be beneficial to you. So there's a the rider weight is the traditional old school deck. And if you want to go old school and just be content with that's totally fine. I think the thing that you would need is you would need the accompanied book or go online to be mm -hmm. able to mirror up, hey, what does this mean? Because of course, the 72 cards in the deck, there's inversions of it. You might want to just stick with side up for starting point just to make it a little bit easier. But I would say whatever deck you're resonating with you, whatever the artwork that speaks to you, because again, the I feel like it's amused to your intuition. Now, yeah. some people might use the deck and say, it's just the deck. It's not them, depending on the personality. But again, it's a dynamic thing. You're using it. You're pulling the cards. And so you're connected to the story. So you don't want to invalidate that experience. And I would really agree with that as well. I had ordered one online on Amazon. It was a writer weight because sometimes I was like, oh, you should try this as a beginner. And I didn't resonate at all with it. Right, right. <laughs> so I went to a metaphysical store and did exactly what you just said. <laughs> I was like looking at the artwork and it was an Oracle deck that really spoke oh, to me. And, and yeah, yeah, I love it. I just think it's a great tool. Some people have an aversion to it. Some people think that Tarot might be evil. There might Any energy on that that would get in the way from you just exploring, because we're just talking about playing and exploring and having fun, mm -hmm. really, initially. And if you do have maybe teachings from the past or experiences, then don't use a tarot deck. You could use something else. You could use, there's a lot of different forms of divination that are out there. Yeah. And so explore all of them. And you might find one, like pendulum is something relatively new for me. I've used it on and off. Tell you a funny story about it, because again, I always struggle with the mind, the rational mind and its desires, and it's willing to influence the spiritual realm so I had a, a pendulum that I was using that I picked up and it was something related to money and finance. I'm involved in financing and investing and things like that. And so I've always had this sort of fine line between, hey, you want to use these abilities for the benefit of yourself so you can benefit others. Right. So of course, the, the money can get into the face of that. And again, this might just be creative rationalization on my part. 
But then the idea is that, hey, if you're just making money for the sake of making money, just to embody yourself, then maybe then these tools don't work as well. I don't know if any of this is true for clarity. But I did this and I was thinking something about this subject matter. And I was getting what I thought were correct answers and it felt correct. And then I said, all right, well, let me just pretend, okay, I want to ask this question of really just making a lot of money and did it very much ego, just driven for the money and sake of money. And then the pendulum fell out of my hand and it broke. Oh my goodness. Wow. The universe knocking that out because again, my mind tends to run. And so the other thing I want to say about that is that in order to realign yourself with your intuition, you have to recognize your own process. My mm -hmm. process is a bit chaotic because my mind is operating all the time. It's got all these rules that it wants to say the way you're supposed to do things. But then after the fact, I look back at it and think, okay, what's my impression of it? Because that's the cool thing about intuition. You may not have said the right thing or done the right thing at the right moment in time. But guess what? You can go back and look at any situation that you've ever had and look at it intuitively and think, hey, why did I make that decision? What's going on with me? You can throw cards on that. You can do whatever you want to gain a better sight into what's happening. The irony is that you'll find past situations where you'll gain new insight on by doing this sort of deep dive. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, it definitely does. And that's so interesting that happened with the pendulum. I tend to also, I think I use the pendulum more so I would say that than my deck because I like that it's just more yes or no. So do I. I, I do actually like that. I'd love to shift gears a little bit because earlier I was scrolling on your Instagram page and I noticed that you had a few posts about energetic cords. Yes. And I'd like to talk with you about that. And you also mentioned a silver cord. So I'm curious, what is the difference between the two? Are they the same? Or what can you tell uh, listeners out there about energetic cords? So here's what I was taught about the silver cord. The silver cord is an umbilical cord, if you will, that tethers your physical body to your spiritual body. And I say that because the spiritual body is probably not doing justice to the emotional body and everything else that might be attached to it. So I'm simplifying this. But then it comes out of the solar plexus region, which is located at the base of the sternum. And essentially, each time you dream at night, your spiritual essence travels out that cord and goes off into dreamland. And your body mm -hmm. stays and rests and gets healthy. Now, I think this exists all the time. It's just easier to reconcile and think about it as it relates to dreaming at night, because we all have that experience. Right. I'm under the impression that it happens all the time, that we have this connection. It's there all the time. So maybe you're in your car and you're daydreaming and you float it off. And where'd you go? Well, you went out that silver cord somewhere. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're talking to ascended masters. I don't, maybe you're going ahead to see if there's traffic. Whatever happens to be going on is going on. But there's this connection between you and your spiritual nature. And there's a lot more that can exist with that. When you talk about astral traveling, there's a lot more exploration. You can dump, jump in and get really deep into it as it relates to the silver cord and what that's all about. And when I talked about it briefly, I talked about this idea simply as it relates to your dreaming mind in the evenings. But it could also be a way to think of it as, well, this is a connection and an unramp to my spiritual nature. So maybe that cord itself is something that you can imagine doing healing work. And again, this is imagination work. I want to clear off that connection. How does the connection look from the base of uh, my sternum to my equivalent aspect of my astral body? So there's a lot of creative work, and that's a very dynamic one that exists there with the silver cord. I think other cords are the way we communicate with each other. And mm -hmm. an easier way to reconcile that one would be if there's a if there's like a sexual attraction, for example, that's a really powerful one. So maybe that's originating the second and third chakra or the second mm -hmm. and third energy centers to a degree. And then that cord goes out and maybe it gets rejected. Hey, I don't want your advances. Get away from me. Or maybe you meet that moment where you feel it. It's similar also to having a sensation of somebody when you feel like somebody's looking at you. I feel like we have energetically the ability to connect to other people. And those connections to other people can take a lot of different shapes and forms, depending yeah. on your need and your desires or where you're coming from. So the notion of cutting these cords and eliminating them have more to do with this boundary question that we started off with, a spiritual energetic autonomy. Hey, I'm really connected. You could make a case to say that you were probably always connected to your mother uh, energetically. The umbilical cord gets cut right away, but energetically, there's a lot of information that needs to travel back and forth between the mother and the child. I use that example because it's the easiest one to understand and reconcile, that there's this energetic connection. That's why mother's intuition is a very real thing, to get a sense of, hey, what's going on with my child? I can feel there. It could very well be that those connections are made there. Perhaps when you're doing healing work, you're making a connection to that other person. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned before setting the boundaries and zipping up and yeah. tools to deal with that dynamic. And that's very valid. But I still feel like people reach out energetically and they connect to you. Now, on a deeper level, maybe it's a soul partnership 
what's the term, twin soul, when you get to the realms of deeper spiritual connections, those chords then get quite prominent. If you want to go further with it, it could very well be that we're all interconnected and we're all connected to each other. Absolutely. And so really, I'm describing something from the point of view that if I wasn't and I'm connecting energetically out like this, I think in actuality, it's the opposite. We're all interconnected and you're becoming aware of yourself as your own unique individual from the reverse, really. It's you're getting these chords that are coming in, you're putting them out there. So you get an understanding, hey, you're a part of this, you're part of all of this. But we still have our unique identities. We still have our own responsibility as it relates to, oh, I feel like somebody's influencing my field. Or maybe I've gone out and put too much of my energy into another person. So the habit of cutting a ceremony or whatever you need to do to maintain your spiritual boundaries is critically important. But I do feel like we're all interconnected. So I hope that answers your question. It does. You actually leads into what my next question is going to be was about cord cutting. And you talked about like energetically. So how could somebody know that they need to cut cords? What does that do or what kind of impact does that have on the body? Was it like lethargy or how could somebody like recognize that? Because I feel that sometimes people energetically, they're not even aware that maybe somebody there's energy vampires or some or somehow they're like connected through a cord to somebody that needs to be cut. So how could somebody recognize that? I think that it's helpful to look at it from an emotional point of view first, because mm -hmm. if you can reconcile the emotions of it and you feel like, hey, there's this connection, I'm feeling emotionally overwhelmed or whatever the story happens to be relating to another individual, the idea of just being able to cut that cord and not having to deal with that dynamic is wonderful. But unfortunately, I think it's not really accurate because your emotion is the language of your body. These cords get connected on a spiritual sort of perspective to give you the information or invalidation that you need to become more aware. And so for many people that are totally unaware of these dynamics, I think that has to be articulated in a way of, well, what are you feeling? Uh, a careful examination, a curiosity as it relates to the emotions that you're feeling. Because a lot of times I feel like those energetic cords get extended and then you take on someone else's energy and you become overwhelmed. And you're not sure why you're overwhelmed. And you're overwhelmed because for argument's sake, let's say you have 100 units of energy. And mm -hmm. now you've extended out and you've got 105 because you've taken on somebody else's problem. Well, their 5% is not going to work in your field for any extended period of time. You can't really heal other people's energy. You can facilitate the healing for them, right? And show them or do energy work to help facilitate the process. <clears throat> but if you're actually going in there and like taking on their energy, then that becomes a bit of a challenge. And I think that many people will recognize this when they feel overwhelmed. That to me is the number one sort of indicator. Yeah. And Absolutely. feeling like I can't do anything with this overwhelming sensation is the time to think, okay, perhaps through whatever technique they know of, I want to cut all these cords. Um, I think it's also equally important to recognize that perhaps when you're doing this and your energy gets extended out, reclaiming your own energy from other people. Nice to say that, no, only people do this to me, but we do it to other people as well. And so realizing, hey, I've lost my space. Mm -hmm. I want to disconnect from this other person as well, call up any of my energy back to fill in and fill up with my own life force energy. So I was taught like visualization techniques to accomplish that. And it's essentially just what I described. Imagine sending the other person's energy back. You call your energy in, you create this boundary and separation yeah. and you move forward. But an exploration of your emotional well-being, I think is a good starting point. And I would agree with that. And I shared earlier my story about when I worked in a call center or with that type of environment and how I first realized I was picking up other people's energy was because I was getting these emotions that weren't my own. I'm not the type of person to typically cry a lot or be like really emotional. And I kept feeling like I needed to. And I'm like, this isn't me. And I started to recognize that I was feeling all these overwhelming emotions and I was tired a lot. And then that's what prompted me to go in, you know, for Reiki, get the energy clearing. Yeah. And then I realized what was going on. And so absolutely, I would agree with that. And we did do like a cord cutting ceremony when that's we right. like did the clearing and everything like that. So well, I think it's really important. The other thing that's also really important to, to consider is that fear is one of the most powerful forces out there. Well, I could and so many people that. might have a sense of fear yeah. as it relates to these ideas, right? To think mm -hmm. that, oh, I don't like the thought. I, I won't name names, but I have a relative of mine. <clears throat> I went to a school that taught you how to do healing of the aura. And essentially it's your imagination. You even use your hands to guide along the process. <laughs> and so this relative of mine is not 
aware into this thing whatsoever. And I'd said to them at the time, this was years ago, hey, do you want me to kill your aura? And they said, well, that would mean something's wrong with my aura. And I said, yeah, don't worry. Something's wrong with all of our auras. A lot of people have a fear associated with the unknown. And we're definitely talking about the unknown, even though you and I feel like we know it, because I know we do. Yeah. But other people don't. So that means there's a lot of fear associated with these concepts. So some of that emotional work can simply be understanding that, hey, you know what? This is safe. This is okay for me to do this. I'm just using my imagination and my awareness to understand when perhaps I've taken on someone else's energy. That's another Mm -hmm. reason, in my opinion, why it's helpful, depending on who you're talking to, to speak about it from an emotional standpoint, because people can identify with emotions. They may not be able to identify with energy and chakras. So by talking to them emotionally, they can become aware of, is it possible to take on other people's emotions? And they go, oh yeah, sure. And now you've created language, because remember, language is the key. By using the appropriate language based on your audience, you'll be able to get them to understand what you're talking about. So I think a lot of times in the spiritual world, there's a predisposition to use, I know I do it myself, the chakras, energy centers, all these things. And you might be speaking to somebody that may have a fear of that or doesn't have any concept of it. So again, going back to the emotional imagination aspect of the dialogue, I think makes it more achievable for a broader audience. Definitely. Going back to touching a little bit on fear, I have a saying that fear is really the four letter word, the real four letter word, because I think that it severs us spiritually. Through my work as a practitioner, one thing that I find, and you mentioned fear and thoughts, is it when somebody has fear that's residing in the body and we do a body scan, it's always living in the mind. That's where fear resides. When we scan the body, uh, oftentimes it'll manifest as headaches or something like that in the body. And it's always in our thoughts and in our mind. And fear is the one thing that keeps us from aligning with our past, keeps us energetically down. It's really important to overcome fear, not to buy into this fear-based mindset that society likes to promote. We can go on about that, but... Yeah, fear, uh, fear, unfortunately, has really been weaponized, understandably so. I don't agree with it, but it's understandable why large groups of people Mm -hmm. that are responsible for large groups of people would use fear as a tool. Mm Because the reality is a lot of people aren't paying attention. They're not taking personal responsibility for their own life, and they're going to be driven directly by fear. That's going to dictate all their outcomes. And I don't know. It's an interesting question that you bring this up because it makes me think a lot of this conversation seems to me fear is in the mind, like you said, which I totally agree with, that that becomes more of a balancing act between my survival, right? The notion of the death of the ego. Well, this is who I think I am. I'm just this physical body having this experience. So the fear concentrated in the the thinking or the egoic mind for survival. Oh, you can't do the energy work because then you're not going to survive. So I think that's the balancing act. In many cases, I feel like fear is that moment for you to really start embracing this idea that you're an eternal spiritual being. Because I think that with an awareness of that, that will dissipate the fear because the fear is really driven by the physical, you know, yeah. there's not a lot of fear, even though the spiritual fears are real and people can say, Hey, there's this spiritual group over here and over there. But I still think that's being filtered to the, the human's emotional mind that's causing all this distress. I don't know if that exists outside the human realm. We'll all know that soon enough, I suppose. Right, we will. And I also think that everything will shift. Like, And the first step to overcoming that fear-based mindset, I think, is recognizing it, that you're caught and you're propelled up in that fear-based mindset. Because yeah. once you recognize it and you're more aware of it, you can start to break out. And when we are able to overcome that fear-based mindset, then we can settle into more of a heart-based. It's like using fear as the sort of signpost for you to say, okay, now is where the work starts. Now is where my ability to say, hey, is this true? The challenging part is, at least from my point of view, is people feel comfortable with other people making decisions for them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the notion of group dynamics. That You get involved with a group, any type of group, it doesn't really matter. And there's always this unfortunate aspect of that is that you release some of your intentions, desires, and understanding to the group because they're aligned with or appears to be aligned with what you're doing and talking about. The problem lies within when you decide that the group has all of your answers and you can just allow them to do all the thinking for you. I don't need to think, I don't need to do it because I'm just, this group's going to make the decision for me. I understand a lot of people want to operate that off of 
The challenge is then understanding that in order for you to grow spiritually, you have to be willing to break away from the group and say, okay, maybe I don't agree with this. Maybe I don't agree with that. And it's perfectly reasonable for you to agree with A, B, C, and D and not with other aspects of it. And that can be fine. But I've always felt like the purpose, maybe this is because I'm a bit of a lone wolf. I always felt like the purpose of the group is to be able to gain an understanding and awareness and hold space for you so then you can move out of the group and move on and continue to move on. Because we all these little groups of things that we do and spiritual or regional or whatever they happen to be. So you can gain an awareness and understanding. When you think that you know it all and I've got everything covered, that's when the problems start. That's when you realize yeah. that's because you're real set. This is the way to do this. You're doing it wrong. So I think what you speak to is very important. And I see that as a question of being humble. Humility is really the key to it. I don't, mm -hmm. Maybe I don't have all the answers. Maybe I'm not sure. Maybe what I was taught by my parents and their parents wasn't the right lesson. And it's time for me to look at that differently. Absolutely. Anyway. And, and I think that we have to do that collectively, shift from that 3D way of thinking to more of the heart-based way yeah. of living. Yeah. Well, I've absolutely loved our conversation today. And I know I our listeners are going to find so much value in everything. What is the next thing that we can expect from you? Is there a project or something that you're working on? Well, I've been working on teaching people how to develop their intuition through the guided mm -hmm. meditation tools that I've had. I got a membership website set up to do. I haven't quite started yet because I'm trying to figure out how to have a digital offering equaling like a live offering because I'm very good at live and, and live I really enjoy and it's very dynamic. But I want to try to figure out when this sort of work in progress is what I'm saying. I do readings and I do coaching. And then this other piece really is driven by trying to figure out how a digital offering could really be beneficial to somebody. And so that's the big project that I'm working on. And then classes, I'm getting ready to do go live on Instagram and live off my website to teach people how to develop their intuition. Beautiful. I just love that. And what is your Instagram and your website for listeners to it's, connect with you? Uh, my name, Todd, T-O-D-G-R-O-S-B-Y. And, and that's your website, too? On all of them, yeah. Lovely. Well, Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show Jennifer, today. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. I really appreciate it. Bye for now. Take care. This podcast is brought to you by The Soul Experience quantum healing hypnosis. Are you ready to embark on an inward journey of quantum healing? Quantum healing hypnosis is the most profound method of inner work and self-healing someone can do while on a spiritual path. In a single session, you experience past life regression, exploration between lifetimes, self-healing performed by your subconscious, release of trapped trauma, and answers to your most important life questions. Your higher self has a message for you and is here to help you and guide you on this life journey. Book a session today with Jennifer Mitchell at the Soul